0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: He presents Jesus as the suffering servant, but Mark doesn't present any genealogy. Why? Because a slave doesn't need a genealogy. He doesn't bring credentials with him. He just comes to serve. And our Lord said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many.
0: We begin the Gospel of Mark. As we look at the first 20 verses of Mark chapter 1 in Pastor Sam's message, Jesus the Suffering Servant, we see John the Baptist baptize Jesus, we see Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and we see the beginning of Jesus' Galilean ministry. Let's
1: listen in. Mark 1, 1 through 1-20, Jesus the Suffering Servant. We read here in verse 1, the beginning. Of The Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight." Let's pause for a few minutes to just get some background on the four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you ever wondered why four, well, each of them had a story to tell. It's his story, Jesus' story. And they write from their own personal perspective. They write with the target audience in mind, They all write, though, to present Jesus to the world that is so in need of him. Matthew writes to the Jews. That's why he says things like this was done that it might be fulfilled. They had the Old Testament. That was the only scripture they had. They studied it. They they talked about it. They did their best to walk in light of it. So Matthew wants his brethren, the Jews, to know that Jesus is the long-awaited, promised Messiah, the Savior, the King of Israel. Mark writes to the Romans, and we're going to see Mark is very unlike Matthew. He tells the same story, but his emphasis is far different. He presents Jesus as the suffering servant, the doulos, the slave by choice, the bond slave, if you will. Uh, Matthew gives us a genealogy that goes back to Abraham and to David because, well, that would help those Jews understand that Jesus is the one who was promised, that Jesus is the Messiah they were looking for and waiting on. But Mark doesn't present any genealogy. Why? Because a slave doesn't need a genealogy. He doesn't bring credentials with him. He just comes to serve. And our Lord said he didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Matthew focused on what Jesus taught. Mark will focus on what Jesus did. Matthew has more of Jesus teaching. Well, maybe he and Luke compete a little bit on this, but but lots of teaching, lots of parables, lots of those things. Mark is going to be like, immediately he did this. And as soon as he was done there, immediately he did this. The old King James said straightway. It's the same Greek word translated in a way we would understand that he went from this this to this to this to this perfect for this short attention span generation. And uh, I don't mean just the young people today. It started back in my day. Uh, Luke presents Jesus to uh, the Greeks. And uh, and his language is different and his concepts are different. But he presents Jesus as the Son of God. and, And his focus is on Jesus' humanity. He traces his genealogy all the way back to Adam. Why? Because Adam the first man, but not just the first man, the prototype. And for a while he would have been a pretty good one except for that little sin issue because all of we all of us have been born in sin because Adam and Eve sinned against God. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he's not just called, you know, the the last Savior. He's the only Savior. He's called the last Adam. And what that means is the last prototype. We either follow in the footsteps of the first Adam or we follow in the footsteps of the last Adam, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Luke emphasizes and focuses in in on what Jesus felt his emotions are more in play in Luke's gospel. We find him weeping. There's more time with women. There's more things going on there that, that bring us to that part. John writes to the world, and, and he presents Jesus as God the Son. It, it's, it's unlike Luke, who focuses on the humanity John focuses on the deity. Now, listen, none of these are exclusive to any gospel. All of them have parables. All of them have miracles. All of them have teaching. All of them present Jesus as God, the son and the son of God. But it's still important to note that when someone has a, a target audience in mind and they focus on that audience, they are going to speak in a way that will hopefully best relate to that audience some say no genealogy in John that's not accurate and here's why in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the reason there's no genealogy in, in the traditional sense is that there was no one created until all things were created by him and for him nothing was created that wasn't created through him so Jesus Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, we'll talk about it and see it in the passage. He's there with the Father before anything was. So they are the beginning of all things. Jesus presented as creator, as savior, as Lord. So the focus in John is on who Jesus is now. All four, as I mentioned, have many things in common. Mark skips over, though, 17 events that Matthew thought were absolutely essential. That is a lot, 17 major events. Uh, He'll start with John the Baptist, who was, by the way, born supernaturally. His dad was very old. His mom was well-advanced in years uh, and, uh, and so, you know, there's this appearance of an angel and a promise of a child and, and Zacharias just can't even believe it because this not really possible at this stage of life. Some of you've had this experience, you know, you thought, hey, I'm so past that. Don't even have to worry about it. And all of a sudden you're like, what? I'm what? And so anyway, that's what happens with them. John comes on the the scene supernaturally. Jesus, of course, born. Well, his birth is impossible except for all things are possible with God. His birth is not just supernatural. It's absolutely miraculous. Born of the Virgin Mary. And, and, uh, you know, Mark just kind of skips all that you know how John was born how Jesus was born all the things that that surrounded it 17 as I mentioned major events well Matthew then fulfilled prophecy as he writes to the Jews he has 20 of the 39 parables in his gospel Mark has only nine parables, but they're all important to the situation and the scene that he is presenting of Jesus. Keyword mentioned it immediately. Mark shares 18 of Jesus' 37 recorded miracles. That's important because he wants us to know this one has all power and he's filled with compassion that overflows into the lives. Of others, his mission is shared. When he heals a paralytic, he shows his power. He shows his compassion, and he says this: "It's Mark two ten. We'll look at it in a couple of weeks. That you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins." He said to the paralytic, "Arise, take up your bed and go home immediately." He arose and took up his bed. Last thought, and then we'll jump into the passage and walk through the first 20 verses together. Mark's gospel is the one most often translated. When uh, Wycliffe, I believe they're the largest sending agency in the world for this particular um, task. They send out missionaries who are linguists, And what I mean by that, they're good with languages. Some of you are. You took. One language in school, and it just came so quickly. You took another, and you took another. I took Spanish in Buena Park in fifth grade. I don't remember one word of it. I took three years of French in Chicago in high school. I remember three words. Fermé la bouche. It means shut your mouth. <laughs> and so... so that's, that's uh, pretty much it. And, and, and so I'm not good with languages. I'd have trouble on the mission field if my, my mission was to well help people get the gospel. Here's what Wycliffe trains people to do and why they use Mark. They send people to a people group and they find people where they have no written language. So first you have to live among them you know get to know them identify with them and then you have to learn their language after you learn the language you create a written language for them then you have to teach them to read it and uh, and uh, then when they can begin to read well during that time you're starting to translate the New Testament you start with the gospel so the first book they usually read is a gospel Mark is usually that gospel why Because for someone who's just learning to read long discourses, you know, three chapters of teaching, it's just a little too much. But Jesus healing here and doing this and casting out a demon there and raising the dead here, well, they're like in awe and amazed and can understand every bit of it. By the way, if you think you might do well in something like that, Get in touch with Whitcliffe. They have offices all over. I think their original one's somewhere down south, uh, Southern Cal, I mean, not down south, the other south. But uh, in, or talk to me and I'd be happy to um, try to hook you up with those guys. Not like we're trying to get rid of you, but somebody needs to go and meet with those people groups. By the way, this is kind of an amazing thing. If you think, well, how long does it take or how long has it taken traditionally to do that task? 45 years. So if you're like 60, it's probably not the ministry for you. But here's the good news. Today, with the advances in technology, 12 years The average to accomplish what it used to take 45 years. It still takes 12 years because it can't all be automated. It's relational. It's getting to know the people, to understand their customs. Translation of the scripture has to fit what they're able to grasp and conceive. So it's an amazing ministry. Mark is right in the middle of it because of the way he writes his gospel well we read then or we already read the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ paul will later say the gospel is that christ died for our sins was buried and rose again so what this is doing is introducing the one who will do those very things and the gospel means the good news of jesus christ the son of god as is it, as it is written in the prophet's One of the few times he mentions the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You should know that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, you know, as did John continually John was separated to God in the womb that that from the very beginning he was to drink no wine. Of course, nobody's drinking wine as a baby, I don't think, but or shouldn't be. Uh, But but, you know, no wine. And and there were other things he had to stay away from. He was a Nazarite from the womb. And uh, so his parents make that decision for him. Having heard from God, here's the plan. And then he is separated completely um, from, you know, what most people would have been participating in in those days. So uh, he is sent to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. That's his messenger. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. They come to John at one point and they say, are you the Christ? Because he's in the wilderness baptizing. Well, maybe I should read that to you. It'll make more sense. John came baptizing in the wilderness, verse four, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins and all the land of Judea, those from Jerusalem went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins So John's mission is to prepare people for Christ's coming, his first coming. And he's to do that by preaching one word, repent. And that's what he did. It said all Jerusalem and Judea came out to him. So he didn't set up camp where it was easy to get to him. You had to travel. And when you got there, well, John is not the most tactful or welcoming guy. He calls the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, a brood of vipers. And he says, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? He tells them, though, to bear fruit worthy of repentance. So apparently some of them were being baptized him, by, by him, but, but he's saying don't trust in The baptism, don't trust in that you say you've repented. Show fruit worthy of repentance. Demonstrate by a changed life that you've really repented. Don't trust in your heritage, he'll say, at one point as well. So John comes to prepare people for the Lord. He will be the one to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world if you read the other three gospels and you should familiarize yourself with all four every christian should be familiar with all the things jesus did and taught and said and uh, and so that the bottom line if you read them all you're going to see there's a lot to say about john but mark doesn't really Uh, concern himself with such things. He just says he's in the wilderness. He's preaching repentance. And uh, everyone is coming out to him to be baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sin. Now, our our Christian baptism, what we'll be celebrating with many of you next weekend, it's more than what John was doing because John was baptizing people to prepare for the coming of the Lord. We're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because Jesus told us to do it that way. And and we'll talk a little bit more further in about what Christian baptism actually entails. But at this point, important to note that uh, John isn't exactly um, sociable he's not exactly somebody who'd be having a lot of dinner parties and such and you'll see why if you look at verse 6 it says John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist probably not that strange Uh, he ate wild locust though or he ate locust and wild honey Now, I don't know a lot about locusts. I've heard they're gluten free, so they may be really good for you. But, um, you know, John's not the kind who's going to invite you to dinner. And if he did, you'd be like, so what are we eating? He's like, wild locust and honey. I don't know. He didn't try to fit in. He wasn't concerned with the latest fads or styles when it came to dress, when it came to diet. He was all about his mission for the Lord and then it says he preached saying verse seven there comes one after me who is mightier than I whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose they had asked him are you the Christ and he goes no well are you Elijah because Elijah is supposed to come first And uh, they missed the whole second coming thing on that. But Malachi says Elijah will be coming before Jesus returns again. So they're like, well, are you Elijah? And he's like, no. And then they're like, well, are you that prophet? That prophet be the one spoken of by Moses saying God will raise up another like me, another deliverer, another redeemer, someone who will bring his people out of bondage. And as they ask him those questions, they're like, well, then who are you? He says, I'm just a voice. I love that. It it reveals his humility and it reminds us it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. The real issue is the word of God, the call of God, the plan of God. And that's all John was interested in sharing. So he says in verse eight. Another evidence of his humility and his insight. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Another is coming, mightier than I. I'm not worthy to even loose his sandal strap, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus later tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God was with them and would be in them. So after his resurrection, he tells those same disciples that the Holy Spirit would be coming upon them. And when he did, they'd be witnesses for him and to him in Jerusalem in Judea in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, verse 9, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, Jesus comes to be baptized. John's confused by this because it's clear to John Jesus is, well, above him when it comes to spiritu- spirituality and such. They're cousins, by the way. They know each other well, born only months apart. And John says to Jesus, I should be being baptized by you. But Jesus says, let it happen. Now, Mark's not telling any of this, but we have to have some of this filled in. I'm not going to tell you all the things that John, Mark doesn't share. or We might as well not teach Mark. But I do want to at least make clear why he's doing things the way he's doing and what he's saying. So Jesus says, hey, this needs to happen, John. So John complies and Jesus is baptized by John before we look at the circumstances surrounding that though it's important to note that Jesus was identifying with us first in his birth because he was born just as we are it was a a miraculous birth but natural in the sense that he was born of a real human and he himself was a real person And then he had, of course, all the things that babies need. They needed to be done for him. He was helpless as a baby. And then he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Of course, Mark again jumps over all of that. But Jesus identified. That's what he was doing when he became one of us. He emptied himself and came down. Philippians tells us Paul writing to the Philippian church. And became one of us, emptying himself to become a servant, going even further down to the death on the cross. And and then he identifies with us in baptism. Baptism was what? A baptism of repentance. It required confession and turning from sin. Jesus had nothing to confess. There was nothing for him to repent of. So what he was doing is identifying with us in baptism Then he ultimately identifies with us on the cross. So at his birth, at his baptism, uh, different times in his life, we'll look at his temptation in a moment. And then ultimately on the cross where he died for our sins, was buried and rose again.
0: In today's study, Pastor Sam talked about Jesus identifying with us. Why is that important to you and I? Well, in the book of Hebrews, we are shown that Jesus is our perfect priest because he identifies with us in a very critical area. Listen carefully, Hebrews 2.18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And then again in Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he was without sin. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.